All right. Three, two, one. Hello there. You're listening to the Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. We will also be doing another grab bag to talk about an assortment of films and television shows that we've been seeing recently from major Oscar contenders like Tar to streaming giants like House of the Dragon and Star Wars Andor and more. And to talk about some of the news that's been coming out in recent weeks, Liam Hemsworth is going to replace Henry Cavill as Geralt in The Witcher Season 4. Season 3 hasn't come out yet, but we've already announced that he will not be returning as the main character Geralt in Season 4, possibly due to him taking on the responsibilities of Superman again, or because he's frustrated with how the writers are treating the source material. Apparently they are uh, disrespectful to it, and Henry Cavill's a big fan of the books and the source material, so perhaps they had creative differences on that, and so he decided to leave. And I'm sure knowing that he's coming back as Superman made it a lot easier to make that decision. Um, but what about you? Are you a watcher of The Witcher? I am not a watcher of The Witcher. Mm. Nor am I a player of The Witcher. Nor really? am I a reader of The of the Witcher. I thought you would have been a player of The Witcher. I owned the third Witcher game and I tried to play it and I didn't like it that much. I'm not wow. a CD Projekt Red kind of guy. I found that out trying Witcher and then later trying Cyberpunk. None of their games have caught my attention, but I do understand the appeal of The Witcher. I understand why people like it, but it's just not my thing, I guess. Gotcha. In other news, Kelly Marcel is going to direct Venom 3. She wrote the first two installments. And she seems like she'll continue to write this third one, but she will now be stepping into the director's chair. So good for her. And of course, confirmation that Venom 3 is going to happen. So there you go. Cool. This is a weird bit of news. Uh, I recently started Westworld again. And I uh, as, I, as I started it, they canceled it. You killed it is what happened. I did. I <laughs> killed it. Which honestly, it. it's about goddamn time. I've only seen the first season. I've tried to watch the other seasons. They are bad. That is true. I only saw the two seasons because the first season was amazing. Amazing. And we have in our idea document, I have a thing where we would go over the first season of Westworld and see like how it was great and see like why it fell apart afterwards. And it's crazy that it's not even going to be able to complete its full story. They had originally planned it to be five seasons. And they won't get that fifth season because the viewer drop-off was just too much. That's yeah. partially because it's been so long that it's been on air. Mm -hmm. Can you fact-check this? But it came out in 2016. That was like the first season when it came out. That absolutely sounds correct. But I will fact-check it. Because yeah, Westworld was the first show to do this two-year uh, cycle in between 2016? seasons. Mm -hmm, yeah. So Six years it's been running. God dang. Exactly. And it's only just had its first season come out here. And so, of course, I mean, in recent times, everyone's had this big delay between seasons because of the pandemic. But Westworld kicked off that trend with 
the gap between their first season and the second season. There's a big drop off in quality of the writing because again, the first season was just so well done. But then they wanted to try and one-up themselves and make sure that they couldn't be found out or have people online guess all the twists. And then I didn't even watch season three. And then didn't I was somewhat interested. I mean, I heard season four was a step up from season three. And had they finished out the show, I may have gone back and given it a chance to, just to see what they did, what direction they took it in. But now it's super sad that it won't even get completed. Yeah, I'm always it's in favor just of a stark difference from the rest of the seasons to the first one. Like, if mm-hmm. it was a consistent, like, okay, I would watch the whole thing. Because the first season is just so goddamn good, I just can't watch the rest of it. I Maybe I will bad. when we do our Westworld episode. If we ever actually do that, I will watch the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, not right now. Right now, I'm only rewatching the first season. I do think I certainly would want to do a first season episode just talking about that first season why it's so strong and good um it would be tough to have to dedicate to all those other seasons knowing it won't be as good but it would be an interesting thought experiment to see you know why it worked so well that first time and then despite still having i guess the same creative team for most of it and many of the same actors why the story just didn't seem to live up in any of the follow-up seasons um but yeah in yeah. other news, Lupita Nyong'o is going to star in A Quiet Place Day One. That is the spinoff that we've been hearing about. So she will be the star of that. Yeah, I don't really, I don't really care. <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, I'm not I've, too I've lost excited in a Quiet for Place, kind of the the oh, A Quiet Place universe, the AQPU. <laughs> I'm still yeah. gonna watch. I the think Act the next. Two. Yeah, the next entries in the Akbu, but um, Akuba, but I'm going to. <laughs> uh, I'm not like crazy about the universe itself or anything like that, uh, and I don't know why they're doing a spinoff. I think again, it's a little too early. Like, finish out your trilogy, finish that story, and then if there's still gas in the tank, then go for the spinoffs. They're pretty confident in it, which is I know interesting, but I mean, good for Lupita Nyong'o. Hopefully, yeah, it will turn out well for her. Because I think she's a great actress, but she's not oh, yeah. in a lot of best. great things, which is oh, sad yeah. after her Perfect. like Oscar win and then getting that role in Star Wars, which was just voicing that character that didn't come back in any of the sequels. And then starring in Black Panther was good, but she's not like the main part of that. Other roles that she's had in like the blockbusters, they just haven't worked out. So I'm hoping this one will work out. Us was good, but. Yeah, it it doesn't even have like that much of a lasting legacy. Yeah, I do so, want more Lupita Nyong'o. Me too. So hopefully it'll work out for her. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Let's do our box office breakdown for November 4th to November 6th. Coming in first place, Black Adam with 18.2 million. That is a stronghold. It's a 33% drop. It is now at 141 million domestic, 312 million worldwide. And zero release in China. Your thoughts, Ryan? It is very frustrating that it's not going to get a release in China because I would have done so well. I would have boosted those numbers. The Rock is huge there. But unfortunately, China is just getting rid of all the Hollywood things. I mean, we know Marvel hasn't been getting a lot of releases there lately, but you would have thought Black Adam would have done it, but nope. You would have thought. So I guess we're going to hope that Avatar will still be able to get a release there. 
Could you imagine if it didn't? That would suck. But yeah, we're certainly going to have to, as Hollywood will, we're going to have to take into account that China is not really a marketplace anymore for these films. So when we think about what it can do internationally, we can't really think about China as a part of that. Which is nuts. They were the biggest market. They were huge. Mm -hmm. Wild. After Black Adam was the One Piece film Red. That's 9.3 million. Ticket to Paradise with 8.5 million. Smile with 4 million, bringing its domestic total to 100 million. Very, very impressive. Absolutely. Pray for the Devil, 3.8 million. Lyle, 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 Lyle. <laughs> Lyle, Lyle, Crocodile, 3.3 million with a 22% increase. I don't know how it did it, <laughs> but it increased. So that's why I threw on more Lyles in there. <laughs> Every time it increases, they add another Lyle to the title. <laughs> um, but yeah, after that, we had Banshees of Inishirin with 2 million. Till with 1.8 million. Halloween Ends, ending out its reign in the box office theaters with 1.4 million. Only 63 million domestic, which is not as much as the Halloween 2018's domestic opening. Bummer. Just squeaked past 100 million worldwide. Amazing. So, yeah, not not great. Not as good as its predecessors, but I mean, it still made profit. So I guess yeah. that's all that matters at the end of the day. And last but not least, Terrifier 2, 1.1 million. Everyone mm-hmm. in the top 10, over a million. Good week. Indeed. And we're going to have a huge week. This upcoming weekend, Black Panther Wakanda Forever is releasing. Of course, it is a part of your roster the original was a cultural phenomenon huge hit made over 200 million in its opening weekend which was one of the highest at the time still is in the top five of the highest grossing it made 700 million domestic again still i think in the top five although i think maybe top gun uh kicked it out but still huge performance and then made over a billion uh so with wakanda forever the circumstances are obviously much different post-pandemic world star of Black Panther, Chadwick Boseman, passed away. So this film is going to be dealing with the loss of him and the character T'Challa. Mm-hmm. But we have seen some trailers. I think the teaser trailer was fantastic. Like one of the best teaser trailers in recent memory. Um, besides the Avatar teaser trailer, is also extremely good. Um, but yeah, I, I was hesitant about this until that trailer. And then I was on board. And we've seen early reactions. It's very positive. I think it's at an 86% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. So it seems like it's going to be a really solid film. Certainly not as wishy-washy as Doctor Strange or Thor. So that is good. That puts it in a good Mm -hmm. position. So what do you think? What are your predictions for this? Will it be able to match the original's opening? Or will it not quite get there? I think it'll be about... 180, 180 to 190. I'm, I have hopeful, I'm very hopeful for it, hopeful anticipation for it. I'm going to ride the high of thinking that it will do well, better than Black Adam. And uh, yeah, sure. I'm going to say 180. Gotcha. 180. I'm also going around 180. I think that's Let's go! probably what we get. You are going tonight, so you'll be able to help it out and experience that uh that film and its opening. So yeah, we'll have to see next week what it will end up doing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, and I guess it being a holiday weekend as well will probably help it out. Yeah. 
right? Veterans Day. So, indeed. Yeah. All right. Okay. Let's start our uh, grab bag. Grab bag review. Let's start with number one. Number one on the list. House of the Dragon, which I have not finished. Yeah, my boy. I know. I'm like five episodes in. I I will finish it now that it's all out. I will binge it. Same with Andor, but I just, I couldn't do it. Yeah, dude. So I am a fan of House of the Dragon. I think it's good. I think it has redeemed the Game of Thrones universe from what season eight did to it. I'm Mm. back in it. I am happy to get my fix in every Sunday of the dragons and the political maneuverings Addict. and the Targaryens and whatnot. So yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan of what they've done with it. There are a lot of drawbacks, I think. I mean, some people were throwing out ideas of oh, is that as good as the first season of Game of Thrones? I don't think so. No, nothing. I mean, again, is. that was like extremely good. I mean, I was peak Game of Thrones. One hundred percent. And I don't think it lives up. Especially because I'm not sure the characters are as well drawn out as that. But I do yeah. think the approach they made of, especially in this first season, just giving us this intense, like, splintered family drama mm-hmm. of the Targaryens and the Valarians, um, and then the High Towers and other folks that are in there trying to, you know, get their, their hold on whatever power they can that's adjacent to the throne. I think it was a smart choice. Because it settles us mm. back into the world after what season eight did. Um, and it keeps us grounded, I think. And that was one thing you had mentioned in when we talked about it before of the sprawling aspect of Game of Thrones that you missed. I think they're certainly going to go into that in these follow-up seasons. But I think it was smart Thank to God. stay fairly um, restrained to just the mm-hmm. locations. Basically, this cast of like this family of, again, the extended Targaryens. Uh, I think it worked. But there are some things that yeah. I think could have maybe been a little bit better for it like the structure they have with certain time skips mm-hmm. where i don't even know if you got to this part yet but they change actors yeah i haven't gotten to that part yet but i do i am aware mm-hmm. yeah so they do that and that i think is always tough because i mean you get an attachment with how a person looks and how they act in a particular yeah, role and then to change that completely and then you're still being told well this is the same person but clearly it's not um, it's a little tough to get back situated in it and feeling connected with those characters. But I do think that it ultimately is for good football because they, they do it just that one time and then you're able to settle in with basically half the season dedicated to those other actors in the role. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think ultimately it was okay. But yeah, a lot of their time skips, I think, do does just make it feel like we're hopping around through history and just seeing mm-hmm. like something play out in front of us instead of us really getting connected with the characters as they go through each of the events. Like mm-hmm. every single time they do that, we have to resituate ourselves. And so it's, it's tough. I think that is a little bit distancing, but overall I'm a fan of the show. I'm down yeah. for it. I'm upset though, that once again, we're going to have a two year gap. Let's go. <laughs> No, it's just like, guys, come on, just make it one year. Stop making huge movie budget shows where it takes two years in yeah. between the seasons. Like, plan it better. Just get it on the assembly line quicker. I mean, they had to have known that they were going to go for a second season since they already spent too much money in this first one, just like the Rings of Power show. 
But mm-hmm. yeah, we'll have to wait. But I will be watching in season two. Yeah. They got me. I do like it so far. I've only seen the first few episodes, four or five. I'm enjoying it so far. Uh, I do like I like we talked about before. And like you brought up, I do miss the sprawling aspect of Game of Thrones where you have a lot of different plot lines going on at the same time and a lot of different threads to follow. That's definitely lacking in the season. But if you say that it looks like it's going into that direction, then I, I am more forgiving of them deciding not to do that initially. It's just that's what I loved about Game of Thrones was the idea of this really big epic fantasy show. But really, you're only following like four or five different threads as they're going on at the same time and cutting back and forth. Like they, they make it very small and personal within this big world. And I really like that. This one feels very grand from the get go. It feels very much like you are with the leaders of this world and it is as big as can be. And that's cool in its own way. But I do think like it, it finds time. It still does find time to be small in its own way with the personal relationship to the characters, which is nice, but it doesn't have that same feeling of like, like following these characters doing very simple things and doing very small things that are only about their characters. It feels very plotty, which is by design, but that's because they have a lot of plot to get through in one season. I mean, they're going through what, like 10, 15 years of story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I get it. I get the challenges. I just, I hope they slow it down a bit in the later seasons. I don't know if they will slow it down. I hope they just slow down the pacing, really slow down the character development, really grind us through those gears really take their time like the early seasons of game of thrones that's what i'm looking forward to nice i think you will be delighted then because they've said that yeah they're gonna slow it down there's Mm -hmm. not gonna be any huge time skips where like actors need to be switched out so that's good and yeah i think Mm -hmm. overall they're gonna just slow down the pacing and stick with what we have and move Mm -hmm. like pretty sequentially Mm -hmm. um but yeah out of uh since you've seen the whole first season out of how many uh cut in half crab feeders <laughs> do you rate the uh the first season of House of the Dragon? I'll give it a four. Yeah, I think that's pretty solid. I think, I, I think so far I do agree with that. We'll see if my opinion changes later. But yeah. Good good rating, Ryan. Hey, thanks. Okay, <laughs> let's talk about Ticket to Paradise, which we both saw. In theater together on a we date. did we went on a date night so I, we both end up liking it. this is an enjoyable yeah. little rom-com we got george clooney julia roberts they're doing their thing they do it well so yeah you're not getting anything mm-hmm. yeah. too surprising or too amazing it doesn't elevate the genre or anything like that but i think it is quite fun it's nice seeing just the very beautiful location in bali mm-hmm. um and then, yeah, just getting to see two yeah. actors with great chemistry and great charisma just holding it down. I think the hardest part of the movie was that they have so much natural chemistry that it is very hard to buy them as enemies in the beginning when <laughs> right. they're bickering and stuff. I'm like, you guys just have so much natural chemistry between the two of you. It's hard to picture you guys actually fighting. Like, you're mm-hmm. just play fighting, flirting, flight, flirting, fighting. That's what's happening in the beginning. And it's just too clear that that's the case. It doesn't feel like a divorced couple who can't be in the same. Like, it's like earth shattering that they're in the same room on several occasions in the opening. It seems hard to buy that a little bit, which is what we're trying to sell. Yeah, it's certainly not (laughs) what a truly like cutthroat divorced couple would look like. But 
because of the particular genre it's in. I mean, we're suspending our disbelief anyway for it being a movie. For sure. I think knowing that it's like, okay, I mean, obviously this isn't how they would actually act. All the snipes that they take at each other, they're fun. They're enjoyable. So, yeah, overall, it was a solid time. I think we each gave it a three Mm -hmm. out of five, right? Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, it was cute. It was fun. It was slightly romantic. Uh, It hit all the notes it's supposed to hit, and it followed the recipe to the T without being overtly uh, unentertaining. It was quite entertaining, I would say. Mm -hmm. Though I would not say it was anything original. But uh, it was decent. It was better than I thought it would be. There you go. That's a win. Yes. <laughs> okay. Let's move on to Don't Worry Darling, which you saw on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. So we will be spoiling it. So if you haven't seen it yet, go ahead and catch up. It's on HBO Max now. But uh, I had done an episode with Sean and Brett a few weeks ago when we mm-hmm. had seen it. Uh, you weren't able to catch it yet, but finally you were able to get around to it. So what are your thoughts? I listened to a bit of your guys' conversation in the car on my way to work the other day, which was very, very fun to do, to listen to to my own podcast without me in it. I, <laughs> I enjoyed it. I don't like listening when my voice is there. Yeah, but I, uh, I, I agree with a lot of the points you said, except... I think the one point where you guys complimented the movie where I didn't think I could compliment it was you guys were talking about how beautiful it was, how beautiful the movie was, how beautiful it was made. I think the set design and the costuming were great. I thought they were very, very well done. I thought the way the movie was shot was shot well, but not quite stylized enough for me to say that I thought it was beautiful. The What I wanted... What I wanted out of this was an over-stylized 50s look where the colors really, really pop. They felt duller than they should have been, for sure. They were there in real life, I know they were. But in the images, they were intentionally dulled a little bit with how they were filming it. And the reason is because it's, it is a drama, and Olivia Wilde was trying to hit that drama tone. But I felt like it would have been more eerie had it been bright and colorful like it was an actual 50s movie or like a like a like a technicolor kind of thing like very bright poppy colors like the thing i compare it to is the opening of edward scissorhands because they do the same thing where all the husbands leave and get in the car and and leave at the same time and they're all in the 50s cars in this little town that's been constructed and Mm -hmm. they all leave it's like the exact same thing but the colors are so much brighter they're they're popping and it's just very jarring for sure compared to what the rest of the movie becomes and they could have done that here and then they didn't and so i do take critique to that because it feels like it, it's it, the, the color grading and the look of it feels very much like any other drama I would watch right now however the set deck and the costuming were on point it's just the cinematography the lighting and the color grading did not quite match what the set decks and the hair designers and the costuming and makeup had all done together gotcha aside from that let's talk about the story Yes. Bad, bad from the bad, completely bad. Uh, I think you are completely correct, Ryan, in saying that an actual physical dystopia, like a, a physical utopia dystopia would have been a lot better than a Black Mirror-esque mm-hmm. uh, little device. Simulation. That you're, simulation, yeah. Much better idea. I don't know why they went with the simulation. The overall idea of the husband deciding to put her in this place because he thinks she deserves better, but really it's not like allowing her to make that decision is a 
good idea. Like, it's a good point to make. And I think it works within the story. But the simulation idea just makes it stupid. It really does feel like a Black Mirror episode, which is something I didn't realize until I listened to you guys say it on your episode. It's 100% what it is. And that kind of sucks. It kind of sucks that that's what it is, that it's just a Black Mirror episode. And not a good one. Not a good one, albeit. Yeah, because I just felt it raises too many questions of how it all yeah. works and why. There's also it yeah, way too many apart. plot holes. Yeah, exactly. It's it's one of those things where it feels like they came up with a really good idea, and then jumped straight to how it affects the story without fleshing out that idea. Mm-hmm. Like if you're going to create a situation where you have this simulated world, you have to fully flesh out what that world is, so that when you have things like the glitches that you see happen, they make sense within the world. Like, if you watch the Truman Show, the very first thing you see that is a hint that his world is fake is a light comes crashing out of the middle of the sky into the street. And that is because they are in a dome world with lights everywhere. And that's clever. That's very, very clever. Mm-hmm. Why, why, when she's running away, do all of the light posts start exploding? What is the reason behind that? Right. Why is the, why is the simulation failing because she's aware of it? What system does that happen? And why, for the love of God, does Gemma Chan kill Chris Pine? Why, (laughs) for the love of God? Then she says, it's my turn. What does that mean? No clue. I have no clue. She's barely in the movie and completely on his side the entire time. I know. Did they film a bunch of other... They had to. And then they just cut all that stuff out, but then they left in that moment. It's like, well, we have to show him getting killed. But it just doesn't make sense why she's doing it. And then, yeah, what the aftermath of that is. Yeah. Is she taking also, control of it? Yeah. Is she just doing it because she's also come to the realization that she's locked in the simulation? Did she not know that mm-hmm. beforehand? We have no clue. Again, it just raises too many questions. Yeah. But they're not satisfying to Malover. They detract from the movie overall. I also wish it was more impactful when Harry Styles dies because he dies in real life. And also they don't explain that. They don't explain that when you die in the simulation, you die in real life. Olivia Wilde just says it. Like, her character just says it. it. (laughs) Like, she just says it. But, like, there's no reason why. She just says it. Right. Why? There's no... It's, it's like, a thing you throw in at the end. In A Nightmare on Elm Street, you learn from the beginning, if you die in your dreams, you die in your life. And that is what carries through. They don't have to explain it because you learn it right in the beginning and then you experience that throughout the rest of the movie. This is a fact that you... That, like... Harry Styles gets killed, and then Olivia Wilde comes in to explain that he's dead in real life, too, and then it's not explained why, and then the rest of the movie happens. Also, that entire scene with Olivia Wilde's character was really, really bad. Olivia Wilde Which is just... One, the one at the end where she's... Yeah, the one at the end where she's like, okay. she's like explaining everything. It's just exposition. We know nothing about her kids, nor do we care about her kids, so there's no emotional anger there. It, right. Like, what... What is ha- I was like, what's happening? Like, who cares about any of this stuff? All of this stuff is is meaningless. I do like when the doctor explodes <laughs> when he's in the car and he just gets crushed by two other cars and just blows right. up. I thought that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. The whole car chase was well done, like well filmed, well executed. I thought it was good. It was simple, but the 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 technical process behind it right. was definitely there. I mean, the whole, all of the, all of the, it's weird we're in, we're in a phase in movie making where people have gotten so good at making movies for like 
as a profession and as like it's become so easy to do it and like it's become so straightforward and so like what's the word i'm looking for uh uh uh, standardized like very standardized like, like there is a very set way to do things that you can come up with such great movies technically speaking because people have become such experts that they can walk into this and just do it but at the same time you have such good technique pushing this mo- a movie forward paired with such a bad story how is this like it's crazy how many movies are being made these days that are like that where where the technical quality of the film is not just good, but like amazingly done to where we can comment on it. We can praise a movie for its technical quality. But then the story is so astoundingly bad that we don't like it. I feel Are there, like there any are other movies. examples that you have for that? The, the one that I like to point to the most is Joker. Oh, like Joker is astonishingly yeah. poorly written, but well, God, I is think... it like a gorgeously looking film and gorgeously made film? Right. I mean, I think part of that does come down to, I mean, subjectivity as well, because there are folks that would say oh the story and writing is amazing well sure yeah of course and we would just they would be wrong and we would have arguments for that again i you can't i don't think say a blanket statement of like well you're wrong for well i'm just like taking it in a certain way but um i think i can agree with i mean yeah there are certain elements of filmmaking that when you have those creative people come on they're able to excel even if the story itself maybe isn't the yeah. greatest or isn't what would resonate the most for us so yeah something like in here the set design is really solid and I mean, it obviously is motivated by the story as well um so that piece of it is really strong it does come off really well but of course the story does mm-hmm. not so much but yeah ultimately they have people that are excelling in their jobs in those particular departments right so the art department did really well whereas in the writing department or in their directing department, it wasn't quite what it could have been. And also, that's just the case. I mean, both of us really liked Booksmart. Yeah, we which, did. Uh, Olivia Wilde directed. I, did she write it? I don't think she did. I right? think she might have worked on the script, but I don't Although think I it think was the her person that the wrote Booksmart, I think we rewrote uh, whatever script was the original idea for this one. So it's mm. still like the same talent directing and writing. But yeah, it just didn't click for us in this case. So, Olivia Wilde had no writing credits on Booksmart. Right, but if you look at the writer who but did do Katie it, I think Silverman, she also worked on yeah. Don't Worry Darling. Katie Silverman yeah, Katie wrote Silverman. Booksmart and Don't Worry Darling. Exactly. So there you go. So we really enjoyed Booksmart, but not this one. Yeah. And that just comes but down you know, to the funny. story I was, of the genre. Yeah, I was talking to a friend of mine about Don't Worry Darling, and she said that she had read the script for Don't Worry Darling. And she mm-hmm. said that the script was amazing, like really well thought out, really well constructed, and that the movie, like the final product of the movie, had butchered that script. So Crazy. now I kind of really want to read the script. Well, I, it was originally a blacklist script. Yeah. So you can yeah. find it on there. It was 100%. written by a man or two men, I think. Incredible. <laughs> so the, your two friend men. is saying. Two men had a better idea, and then a woman rewrote it. Two men it, wrote a better it, and it was movie awful. about feminism <laughs> than two women. I can't remember what the exact details were, mm. um, but I would disagree. I think the blacklist script, because I had I had done that thing where I was scrolling through part of it. I didn't read all of it, mm. but I was going through here and there, um, and I don't think it was any more remarkable than really? what this one came out to be. 
but yeah, still I think just a black mirror. It'd be worthwhile to read it. Yeah, it's still, I think it leans even more into Black Mirror. What if they um, originally wrote it as like a treatment for a Black Mirror did. episode? <laughs> they probably did for sure. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think it is worthwhile to read that original mm. um, version and then see. I think I'll check it out. What yeah. the differences are. All right, our next thing we're, to, we're going to be talking about is going to be the White Lotus Season 1, especially because Season 2 is just now coming out each week right now. I was finally able to catch up on Season 1. Ryan, you have not seen it. Nope. Oh, wait, I'm skipping something. Let me rate Don't Worry Darling. What, what was the metric you guys used on your episode? I don't remember, but let's just say uh, out of five random red toy planes all right out of five random red toy planes i give it probably a two and a half two and a half yeah Yeah. i think that's pretty correct yeah now the white lotus season one it is it's odd because i can't say that i think it's incredibly well written or incredibly well executed i can't say that it's like a flawless story but damn it's entertaining it is it is funny, it is fun to watch, and it is exciting in a lot of ways. Again, just not a perfect story. It doesn't quite hit all the marks that I thought it would hit. But, I mean, it is just people on vacation and having all of their vacations just crumble. Like, it's just watching rich people on a rich person vacation and having it get ruined bit by bit. And I think that is exciting. Very, very exciting. And I just... Some of the dialogue is really good. The performances are really great. Really, really good performances. And it's just funny. And it's funny to wa- fun to watch. Funny. Makes me laugh a lot. And entertaining. Just, just pure entertainment. I very much enjoyed The White Lotus. Nice. And I think you should watch it, Ryan. Because I'm going to start going to watch it. Yeah. I mean, I, that was always the plan. I was always interested in it when yeah. it first came out. And then hearing all the buzz around it obviously won like all the miniseries emmys so yeah it's been on the docket to watch just haven't gotten around to it yet but soon i'll have some more time so yeah and it's only is it six episodes or eight episodes what was it i think eight probably eight episodes eight sounds about right so yeah not too crazy of a commitment and then yeah white lotus season two is coming out right now so yeah another stacked cast hop in and Join the discussion about that as it's ongoing. Absolutely. Now, I can't really quite give a metric because I don't want to spoil anything, but I'll say uh, out of five rich people vacations, I'll give it a four. Solid. Very I solid. think you would agree with that too. So we'll see. I want. I really want you to watch it because I do want to talk about it with somebody and nobody I know has seen it. <laughs> I'll get around to it soon and then we can talk about it. Okay, great. Um, but going from that project about rich people... Triangle of Sadness is another film that's all about rich people dealing with class commentary, and it's a satire that's about, again, just these rich, spoiled, privileged people Mm. um, that are very shallow, and then things happen, and we get to laugh at them as they suffer, like these stupid things that go on, such as everyone on the ship getting seasick, partially from like the seasickness, and also eating spoiled food, and then they're all vomiting everywhere. So... That's basically just the gist of the film is we get to watch the satire of all these rich people uh, having their lives upended and no longer being as 
comfortable as it once was. And it's split into three distinct chapters. Each of them are, again, still on that theme of like these rich people and what's happening to them that's messing up their lives. So I think it's good. Like the direction is kind of unimpeachably solid. I think the gags that they do, like the vomit gag, I think all of those things ultimately work. A lot of the criticisms or observations that they make, they're nothing earth shattering or revelatory. They're things that you yourself, I mean, could make. Um, and like I thought of in just everyday life, but they are, I think, well executed, like just the way that they're constructed and placed throughout the film, I think is well done. But I think there is a flaw to it. And it's that each of the gags in the movie overall is just too long and they overstay mm -hmm. their welcome. And so it feels like they like the filmmakers they wanted to make a point they make it and they do it quite well but then they just want to keep making that point and then as we're lingering on that it gets less entertaining and less um satisfying to watch it go on so yeah it's a mixed bag like as i was watching it i felt consciously like the conflict that was in me of like wow this moment really had me it pulled me in it's so compelling and then not too long after that, I'm feeling disengaged or I'm like, okay, when is this going to like stop lingering on the same yeah. scene and the same bit? Like you mm -hmm. just move on already. Um, and then I think the, like there's, especially with that third act as well, like there's a very compelling plot line, but then there's these other like gags and bits that they do as well to lean into like the comedy and the satirical aspect of it. And it's like, not necessary at that point like those things are reinforcing things that we already knew from chapter one focus on the thing that you have that's really compelling but they don't do that and then there's this very abrupt mm -hmm. ending which is baffling to me it's one really? of those things where like everyone in the theater i watched it at Enzion, and everyone <clears throat> does that thing where they just look over at the person next to them and they're like what like it just ends and i'm like why and i'm sure there's a particular reason for it and i haven't sat down enough to think about like hmm, what were they doing with this because initially it doesn't immediately like connect the dots of why that choice was made um and honestly if i do sit down and think about it a lot i'm still not sure that i would ever make that decision over actually completing the story so and it was a really odd choice that they ended up making at the end there but yeah overall i think it is a Solid film. I think it's enjoyable. Like, it is funny. I mean, Woody Harrelson's in it. There's a good bit with him and this Russian oligarch dude. Um, although, overall, I will say Woody Harrelson is not one of the best parts of the film. Like, not even in top five, which is a little disappointing mm -hmm. going into it. But, um, yeah, I think overall it's good, but it is a mixed bag. Okay. Yeah. You think so, it was worthy of the Palm Dior? I wouldn't vote for it at the Cannes Film Festival, but I also haven't seen any of the other films that were at uh, that festival, so I'm not too Fair. sure. Um, Maybe but I mean, personally for bunch. me, I wouldn't give it like yeah, like the grand prize of uh, something, but the, the most prestigious film festival, <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, it is interesting that they did that, and they did it for I forget the filmmaker's name, probably you know it. 
Olstead or Ruben something. Ruben Osland. Ruben Osland. Um, like obviously he won for his most recent film, The Square, and I was also mm-hmm. touching on like the same sort of class commentary thing. Um, mm-hmm. It's a theme I think that plays well at those festivals, so Fair. I think that's probably why they decided to give it to this. Um, the French are love shitting on the bourgeois. It's true because it's a form of <laughs> parasite won the palm the over. Exactly. Um, wow. But yeah, I, I think as well the uh, the ending and other like decisions that are made in it have that sort of art house feel to it as well and it's also a very easily accessible way to like laugh at rich people and then so the people that are these festivals that honestly are probably the same people that would be depicted in this film they get to at least be like well i'm not them i'm not that crazy or that you know much Mm -hmm. of a buffoon so sure yeah ultimately i'll give it a 3.5 Vomits out of five, yeah, three point five uh, <laughs> vomit fest out of five. Um, but yeah, I think it's still worthwhile to go and see it. I think I'm gonna you, see it for sure. I'd be interested to see because I mean, you obviously love Parasite, of course, and it's nowhere near as good as that. But no, it is commenting on class and it's doing it from a more overly comedic yeah. angle. Like it was a I lot will, more. Yeah, go ahead. I will say though, I'm not a fan of vomiting gags. Ooh. Like, I'm not a fan of the joke being a bunch of people just puking. Interesting. Even if it is, like, commentary on rich people, I just feel like it's a cheap gag. But we'll see. Maybe this one will get me. Maybe this one I'll fall for. It does, because I'm also not, like, the biggest on that either. But it sort of, it won me over as it was going. Where's you down? And there is one shot that's just crazy. And it comes a little bit after the, like, peak of it all. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's just... (laughs) It's an insane thing to put to film, <laughs> like the implications of it were wild. So it'll have you either gagging or laughing, one of the two. Um, so at least get probably gagging. Yeah. If you go to Regal and you go to click on the movie, like on the screen to get a ticket, it's a clip of a woman vomiting. Like it's yeah. like a picture of a woman <laughs> vomiting on this. On this one of the posters, yeah. Wild, crazy. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think overall worthwhile to go and see it. Yeah. I'm going to talk about Tar now. You didn't see Tar, did you? No, but I want to so bad. Oh, my God. I really don't want to say anything. Just because I don't want you... I want you to go in blind. You don't know yeah. anything about it, right? Other than maybe seeing the trailer? Well, I didn't even see the trailer. Because I didn't oh even want to know that. Oh, my God. Because it already had... Take off your headphones. I'm going to give my review, and I don't want you to hear it. Okay. I just want to say... Well, yeah. Everyone, skip ahead to the next thing if you don't want to hear about Tar too, Because I think it is best to go in blind. But you should definitely go I had one. seen because I look up like a 2022 in film and I see the calendar partially mm-hmm. to like figure out our schedule and then also for things like the Oscar draft or the box office draft. Yeah. Way earlier in the year, it was just Kate Blanchett movie. That was what it was because it wasn't titled yet. <laughs> yeah. And so from that, I was already locked in of like, OK, I'm going to see this movie. I'm just going to go in blind. I don't need to know anything else about it. And that's the way I've been so far. So, yeah, I will. I'll, Take my headphones off. You can give me the thumbs up to come back on. But All right, perfect. I'll go ahead and chat about it. All right, hello, audience. I'm going to start by saying that this movie is very, very good, but also just so long and so very, very boring. I mean, it is an intentionally slow-paced, slow-burn movie. I mean, it's almost three hours, and for a movie that is about a composer, there is 
maybe 2% of the movie has music being played and it's all diegetic sound. It's all within the movie world. It's almost completely silent. It's definitely just like going through this woman's life as she goes through it. And then every once in a while, they crank up the tension on a specific plot point. I won't spoil it. And they crank up the tension on a specific plot point that is very subtly hinted at the beginning and then slowly becomes what it's really about. And then by the time you're like two-thirds of the way through, it just gets crazy. Like the drama and the things that Kate Blanche is willing to do is absolutely insane. I mean, she gives a powerhouse performance. She's incredible in this movie because she's playing the most despicable character I think I've ever seen her play. She's just so obnoxious and pretentious and horrible to so many people. And like just getting inside that character's head for three hours in her headspace and seeing what it's like to be her is crazy. I think the biggest weakness to the film is that it's a psychological thriller. Like that's what it's supposed to be. But there's a lot of points where it is tuning into that genre. Most of the time it is very straight up drama, very slow paced, incredibly slow paced burn. But then when it goes into that psychological thriller sort of genre, there are little things that it does that are supposed to be symbolic or metaphorical that don't quite land in being uh, understandable. I feel like it's more pushing the buttons of the audience as well as the character than it is actually meaning anything important to the story. And then there's a lot of things that feel like plot points that were raised or like metaphors that were made that aren't quite solid. So it doesn't feel very satisfactory when you get to the conclusion of the movie because that line has been dropped almost like a hole in a way. But it seems very intentional that they didn't pick it up. It doesn't seem like a mistake that they lost a plot point. But I don't understand. I have not thought about it enough to understand why they would do such a thing. I don't know if I'll ever see this movie again, though. It is very long and very slow. Perhaps one day if I really want to watch Kate Blanche's performance, because she is great in it. But it is a very good movie. And it is mostly people talking and mostly people talking about very specific things about composing and what composers have to do and arrangements and things like that about music and the music world. And so if you don't understand that, perhaps I could see you being bored. I love watching characters talk about things when uh, when they're like professionals in something and they get very nitty gritty into something and I'm just trying to read between the lines as to what the writer is trying to give me to understand about the characters as they're describing these very intricate and specific uh, parts of their occupation. I, I very much enjoy that stuff. So when Kate Blanchett is just sitting with another character and they're talking about music and they're going into it, but Kate Blanchett is giving subtext to her character while she does it, I find that just fascinating from a writing perspective and from like, what watching what the actors do i think that's just thrilling to see and it does crank up that psychological twist towards the end the end is also just very odd similar to triangle of sadness it kind of does abruptly end just kind of cuts off in a very very weird weird spot that was a complete left turn and was very surprising to take and i'm not 100% sure i i suppose it's just trying to understand the consequences of one's actions. But it's just a very odd place for it to end and a very odd shot for it to end on. But overall, I enjoyed the movie. I had a good time. And uh, without spoiling too much, I will say that it is a four out of five uh, pretentious composers. Yeah. 
I'm giving the thumbs up to Ryan. He's now putting on his headphones. All right. I've given my review, and the only thing I will say is that I gave it a four out of five. Gotcha. And you weren't just saying Lyle, Lyle, Lyle over and over again? That would be amazing if I had been. <laughs> I can't wait for you to watch the movie and then promise me you'll go back and listen to my review because it's only like four minutes long. Of course I will, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I killed it. Yeah. I killed it. I think I hit the nail on the head. But I just can't wait for you to watch this movie. And I'm so glad you're going in blind because I went in blind. And it was not what I thought it would be. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited to to talk about it with you at some point. So moving on to Andor, which you have not seen any piece of it yet? No, None of it. Yet? Gotcha. It is excellent. It really? is so good. Yeah. Oh, thank God. It is by far the best Star Wars show. By far the really? best IP show. So really? close out well, any Marvel thing out of the water. But which better you, than Mandalorian? Uh, yes, I think so. It is, really? it is a show that is great and happens to be a Star Wars show. That's fantastic. I it can't wait to watch it. It doesn't rely on like all the trappings of Star Wars and all these characters that are being referenced or mm-hmm. cameos that come out of nowhere. It's just a really solid, good show. It's smart. It's sophisticated. It's mature. It's delving into the things that, again, the other uh, Star Wars things just won't because they're trying to appeal to like a mass audience. This one mm-hmm. clearly is more focused on, yeah, just going for adults. Um, mm-hmm. And you get to learn more about the Empire and its grip on the galaxy at this point. Mm-hmm. The the way that a galactic empire, this authoritarian unit, just how it functions, all the logistics and mechanics of that, as well as how a rebellion is able to come together and begin mm-hmm. to start fighting back against that. So you get to see the different sides of that, which I think is super great. The like the idealism that's involved, right? There's one character that is basically writing manifestos and is extremely idealistic and saying like, oh, this is how we're going to convince people and coming at it from that sort of angle. You get the other aspect that is necessary of the run and gun guerrilla warfare of coming in, hitting with precision these imperial targets and gaining puns from that. Then you also get to see the darker sides of it as well. The corruption or the moral greatness that you kind of have to tap into in order to spark a rebellion. And we see certain characters grappling with that. It is really, really good. Have mm-hmm. you... So Tony Gilroy, who's done like the Bourne films, did mm-hmm. you ever see Michael Clayton? I did see Michael Clayton. Are you a fan? I am a fan. You are? Cool. I am not so much a fan of that film. I will say the opening mm-hmm. is so amazing. Never have yeah. I had a film that, again, just going into it fairly blind, grabbed me by the throat like that. The The thing that they do with the structure a little later in the film, I think it lost me. and I don't think it really ever gained me back. So I can understand that. Killed the momentum. But that those instincts that he has of like the beginning of that film and just overall that film of you know Tony sort Gilroy of, also Nightcrawler I think he was a producer on that I don't okay. think he wrote I'll or directed it. it he certainly didn't direct it but yeah you can maybe see if he wrote it um but yeah so obviously he deals in that sort of espionage that sort of action like really high class action uh genre and so he carries that over here into Star Wars and it is beautiful it's just so well executed 
because we're getting to really dive in with such depth into this era of Star Wars, right? Where the Republic has fallen, the Empire has taken hold, and we're getting to see the true ramifications of that. And it's just done immaculately. The dialogue is the best it's ever been in Star Wars. It's fantastic. Yeah. You have to be like intellectually engaged with it. As often, a lot of the people with a very fast-paced uh, energy just firing off a lot of know-how and jargon and things like that, which is always mm. very pleasant. Um, just the rhythm of the, all of that is really yeah. well done. It also, again, like the other aspects of the writing in terms of the world building, like we get to see new cultures and truly spend time with them and see how well thought, how well thought out those are, which is really nice. Um, just the way that they're able to build tension and establish stakes is just immaculate. I don't mm. want to oversell it because I think yeah. there are some issues with it, um, none of which are too major, but I mean, there are some elements of, I mean, it is a Star Wars show, and if you're going into it, there are some things that you might be looking for that might not be in there. One thing I think can be a valid criticism is like the lack of aliens that are in it. It does mm. feel a little narrow when we don't have like enough aliens that are present. Um, yeah. But I think in certain instances, that's forgivable, like certain <clears throat> cultures. Okay. They're just like the, the humans. Okay. That can make sense. And if we're spending multiple episodes on that particular planet, it makes sense that we're not running into all those aliens, mm. but that was something that I noticed that was missing, but there yeah. being no like Jedi or force not being referenced like that, I think is a little bit more refreshing because then again, it's having to rely on just the, like acting chops and writing chops and directing chops of creating this story about rebellion and resisting mm -hmm. uh, imperial authoritarianism. Um, and so, yeah, they just lean in on that and saying that, okay, there's merit to this story. We don't have to throw in all these references or objects or cool space wizards or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, another thing, the name Andor, it's minor, but honestly, it should not have been called Andor because... Yeah there's it's more of an ensemble cast like he's the obviously he's the main center of it he's the main protagonist that will follow but we spend a lot of time away from him as well and again it's ultimately the story of like the rebellion starting so i wish they would have just called it something like that like star wars rebellion yeah but you know what can you do it was yeah. i guess an established character although again it's not like an iconic character so i don't know why they felt the need to lean in on that mm -hmm. um i will say as well the I appreciate the complete lack of commitment to the television storytelling format of including cliffhangers at the end of episodes because yeah. they don't really do that at all. The episodes just end. And I'm okay. like, okay, go for it. Um, that go could be it. just part of the, like him obviously coming from the film background and the episodes there's often a structure where it's like a three episode arc which i think does work really well i heard about that going in and i was a little hesitant thinking okay is that gonna actually come through but i think it works quite well mm -hmm. um, and they all do feel like movies basically so if you can watch them in three episode chunks and i would say for the first three episodes i'd yeah. go to do that because the first one and again because they I'm sure it was originally thought of and written in that way. Um, the first one I don't think is quite the hook as the first three altogether is because that third episode is really the first one where it takes off, I think. Mm -hmm. um, 
And then after that, again, the three episode chunks, I think are best, but each episode will stand on its own and do quite well, I think. But yeah, I think that decision was uh, pretty interesting. I think I see more of the seams and the cross-cutting between the different plot lines. I noticed that a lot more when watching it, but overall, it is such a well-crafted show. Yeah. And I got to catch up in time for the finale on the 23rd. I'm delighted by it. And oh my gosh, this most recent episode was mm-hmm. crazy. The one before that as well was insane. But yeah, the fact that this show, again, with these characters that are not like truly well established, you don't have that nostalgia or anything for them. But it's just mm-hmm. on the strength of the writing alone where I can literally be fist pumping at certain moments and being energized and satisfied. It's mm-hmm. amazing. And then they delivered two of like the best monologues I've heard in recent memory in one episode. It's insane. In one episode? It's off the charts, yes. Andy Serkis is in it, mm. which is funny because he was Snoke, obviously, but he's as an actual human <laughs> form. He's so good. Stellan Skarsgård, mm. he's so good. Oh, I whoa. forget exactly her name, that. but Genevieve something. Um, she's incredible. Like, the acting is off the charts in this for so many of them. Genevieve O'Reilly. Exactly, yeah. So it is a really good show. Definitely yeah. give it a watch. I'm excited to watch it. And also to finish the fact check, Nightcrawler was written and directed by none other than Dan Gilroy, ah, who is the you younger go. brother of Tony Gilroy. Interesting. There you go. Yeah. And Dan Gilroy is working on the show, I believe. Oh, look at that. I didn't even yeah. know that. So I think the Gilroy brothers are yeah, going at it together. Yeah. And he did write some of it. Bro, some of it was written by Bo Willimon. That's crazy. He created yeah. House of Cards, the American Oh, one. yeah. And yeah, Tony Gilroy, I think, did some. Uh, I don't think he was like writing for it, but I think he had some attachment to House of Cards as well. Interesting. But yeah. How would you rate Andor so far? I'm loving it. I don't know if I'll give it like the full five stars, but it's certainly a 4.5. It's excellent. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. All right. And the last thing we're going to review in our grab bag real quick. All Quiet on the Western Front on Netflix. A German-made war film about Germans in World War I based on a book written by a German. It's good. It is good, I will say. Did you see uh, the original? I the have original? not. There, yeah, there's the one from the 1930s, and then they made another one in the 70s that wasn't as good. I hear the one in the 30s is immaculate, like incredible. And I do want to watch it, but God knows where I'm going to find it. Mm-hmm. But I watched this one, and um, I would say it does a thing that a lot of war movies does where the plot is here's a group of young boys watch them go through the horrors of war and there's not much of a plot outside of it right like the second half of full metal jacket or like come and see and i just i don't know if i'm in love with the idea of a war movie that is just here's the horrors of war here's the horrors of what they went through i understand the value of that but i also understand the value of having a plot within that story to drive the the action forward so that there is something going on outside of just war is bad 
I will say, when it comes to showing the horrors of war, this movie is the second most violent war movie I've seen. Wow. It definitely goes for it. Like, it really, really, really shows the horrors of war. And there was one moment towards the end where I I saw it coming. I saw it coming, and then I went, there's no way they're going to do it. There's no way they would show that or do that. And then they did. They fucking did it. And I went, Jesus Christ. I out loud said, Jesus Christ, because it was just so violent. They really do go for it. From a technical standpoint, it's immaculate. Like one of the best looking war movies, best sounding, best technically performed war movies you'll ever see. The Mm. set design, the CGI, special effects, visual effects, all of it were just immaculate, incredible. My only with my only problem is that story factor of like, oh, I wish there was more going on. There is a side story going on in the background that has nothing to do with the soldiers in the war that I found more interesting at points. And I wish they had delved more into it and cut more to it sometimes. Mm. But I understand why the main focus was the boys in war. I understand. But yeah, it's definitely very, very graphic and very much like goes for it. And I do think war is horrifying. And this movie is one of the reasons why I think that. I mean, the things that they had to go through in World War One, in those trenches, bro. Brutal. Mm-hmm. Brutal. And you do feel sympathetic to these German soldiers who we fought against in that war. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I, I will say pretty good. I enjoyed it. I had a good time. I did care about the characters, which is a plus. And uh, I recommend it. I think you should watch it, Ryan. You should definitely give it a give it a, a chance. Gotcha. What would you rate it out of five? I would give it four dying Germans out of five. Rest in peace. Rest Interesting. In peace, so a lot of uh, high-scoring films on this grab yeah. bag. That's nice. Yeah, except don't worry, darling. That's true. But look, yeah. all the other ones we gave positive recommendations for. So, yeah, go ahead and see all that stuff. Certainly, I'll be catching Tar as soon as I can. Mm-hmm. White Lotus as well. Once I can yep. you know, clear my viewing schedule a little bit, although it's more free mm-hmm. now. Um, but, yeah, and then you can catch yeah. up on House of Dragon. What sucks is that you know I want to be watching more movies right now than TV shows, but the things on this list here that I have to watch (laughs) are the TV shows. I have to watch the rest of House of Dragon, White Lotus Season 2, and then all of Andor. But you, your description of it made me excited to watch Andor, so maybe I will be pumped. And I think, honestly, just treat it as like three or four movies for Andor. Watch the first three, the next three. um, I can do that. The next four, and then, well, I guess, yeah, I could do it in three, but... They do. I, can do that. I could watch the arcs. Three arc. But yeah, arc, the arcs, arc, arc. I think, are certainly going to help you. <laughs> At least it'll feel like you're watching a couple different movies because they are quite distinct. So I think that works in its favor. It's really well done, actually. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That is all the time we have. If you'd like to give your thoughts on the show, you can email us at theboxofficeshowpod at gmail.com. Our main title theme for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDade. If you like the show, please give us five stars on whatever podcast app you're listening to. And be sure to tune in next week. Have a great rest of your day and stay tuned.